It's like backstage, but there's no stage. It's the Standby for Places Green Room. Welcome to In the Green Room. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of In the Green Room. I'm your host, Margie Zarcone, and I'm joined today by Leota Smith, who has written the fantastic short audio play, The Substitute. Thank you so much for joining me, Leotis. It is great to be here. Before we dive into everything, is this a snippet from a larger piece of work or is it uh, part of a collection of short works? Because when I got to the end of it, I really wanted to know what was gonna happen next and I kept scrolling and there was no more there. So is there more coming? Um, there, it's mostly, I would say, part of a like genre of plays I have that are just kind of my grievance plays when I need to deal with something that annoys me, but I want to talk about it in a way that's either exaggerated or not necessarily, you know, done in the way where I feel like people would expect to hear it in that way. You know, where it's done in a way where it's like, okay, so this is kind of my problem. And I'm not going to talk about it like the way, I'm not going to give you a context of this problem in like what you already know. I'm not going to educate you in some stuff you already know, because that's not what I feel like doing. I just want to say what I need to say and get it out of my brain for a bit. So it's kind of that. It, it's mainly that. This is pretty much, it's the shortest and compact as it is, but as far as a series of plays, that that's about the closest I come to more of this is just, these are my long-term things that I'm grappling with. <laughs> I really like the subtitle, Grievance Plays. I'm imagining them published and sitting in the drama bookshop, Grievance Plays. I think that's a very evocative title for them. And going back to what you said about wanting to air your grievances and your frustrations, but in a way that hasn't been done before, you certainly couldn't have predicted the twist that the story takes. Uh, so let, let's dive into it. We open up in a classroom, seemingly normal classroom, and we have a substitute teacher coming in, and we have one we have a class, but then we have one very eager student. And I will let you take it from there. I initially was trying to figure out how I wanted to go about doing this. And at first my thought was, okay, maybe it's more than one student and whatnot. And like, they're all here, but I felt like with one student, there was more to do if it was just one student for some reason. Because, like, I feel like if it, once it became more than one student, once it became more than just, like, Max and Corbin in the play, it would become this, like, after-school special type of thing. And that it would take a really different turn. And for some reason, it was just, like, just having Max and Corbin have this interaction meant that I could actually go further with what I was saying. And I could truthfully 
examine what I was trying to say with these two people here because I've known various people like Max and I've heard various quotes and things said that Max will say throughout the play where I'm like, yeah, I've heard someone say this. And Corbin's just kind of like experiences I've had or things people have said to me or just interactions I've had with people that I'm like, yeah, no, a person really said this. <laughs> a person really said that to my face. That's just what I'm gonna put that in the file for later. I think it's certainly just having two characters really ups the ante and yeah. packs a bigger punch in a very short 12 pages. A lot is covered and a lot of twists and turns take place. I was curious, I've never had a substitute teacher introduce him or herself by their first name. What was the decision behind that? I was gonna give him a last name, but I was like, do I give him a last name or do I want it to automatically register that, that this is already wrong, like from the jump? Like, how do I register that it's already wrong? Um, the etymology of Corbin, when I looked it up several times, cause it's one of those names I really like, but apparently the name actually means something along the lines of dark and worrying one. <laughs> Yeah, it's just one of those funny coincidences that kind of comes up. Look at that. Wow, sometimes the universe conspires in our favor and these little things line up. And so I was just like, that that works. I'm just gonna have him just introduce himself as Corbin and just not go any further than that. Um, it certainly made me take a step back because I was like, hmm, I've never had a teacher introduce themselves by their first name. Something is weird that's about to happen. <laughs> it, it, like, immediately, like, something clicked in my head, like, okay, where, where is this gonna go? Because this is already a strange occurrence from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I just wanted to give him that, like, sense of just everything about how he, I wanted to give him that sense of just way too casual feeling, that feeling of just being way too okay. And just start that off with just like, hi, my name is Corbin. Hey, I'm gonna teach this class that definitely feels like something I should be teaching, but I also know a lot about it. So I'm the best person to teach this, at least while your teacher is gone. <laughs> Where did that idea stem from? Um, this one in particular stemmed from during the time I had wrote it, I was reading this article about, you know, all the weird Liam Neeson stuff in 2019. And this is while I was in like this acting workshop. And he, you know, while it's happening, everyone has his feelings about the fact that, you know, uh, he went up and down the block with a bat and all of that. And it was one of those things where I'm like, Okay, that's definitely not the best way to phrase it. I get it, not the best way to phrase it though. You, you definitely could work on that. Like mentally, I get where you're coming from, but yikes. But like that part, 
I was kind of able to get past. It was the weird justification article I saw from it, where apparently it was like something about Michelle Rodriguez saying something along the lines of like, well, he can't be racist. He kissed Viola Davis and widows. And it just kind of ended up being this thing in my head where like, I just ended up with this thing of like, is there just a place where people go and you just learn this stuff? Like this just racist math of like, like therefore ergo, because he kissed, <laughs> he kissed the black woman, he placed his lips on a black woman's lips. He cannot be racist, obviously through the transit of property of, and it just slowly became this repeating joke in my head that dominated the rest of my day. Right. Until I could just form it, until I got home, and then I was like, I'm just gonna type this up like right now. And then I like, the weird part was that as I was writing it, there were just things that were happening that I had either already known about and I was gonna hint at, but then like, there was a part where Corbin says like, each one of you have never had anything given to you, unlike all the other people. And right as I was writing that, the college admission scandal kind of like burst wide open, even mm -hmm. though I had kind of known that was a thing. Because I had the great fortune of having a teacher from UCLA tell me not to go to UCLA. Only because I would have to be competing with the kids of celebrities. Wow. Who would get more attention from the teacher before I would. Right. And it was just kind of like one of those things where it just immediately, right as I was writing some of it, I was just like, oh, okay, that's happening right now. I was just writing that. That's okay. That's not weird at all. <laughs> and then right when I had written the scene where they're talking about the transitive property of the black friend, like Trump's impeachment case happened and wouldn't you know, they bring one of his black friends to court to prove he's not racist. And I'm just like, oh, okay, this was, I mean, like, I know this happens. I just didn't think this was going to happen in a legit court case. But, and so it went from this thing that was just funny because I was just being an asshole to, to, oh, now this is funny because it's, like there's something current that people can see they they can just see it happening i mean it's the truest example of art reflects life yeah it's really incredible yeah yeah thank you it it was one of those things where i just was at the moment, I wasn't planning. It's one of those you write because you already have a thing that's making you do it. And at the time you're doing something, the last thing you think is like, oh, this is going to be validated by some like outside force currently. Like, you know exactly why you write it. And then it just keeps happening. I don't know if this ever happens when you're doing an art, when you're doing something artistic and you're just like, all of a sudden that one thing you're writing or working on you start seeing little pieces of it everywhere else outside just like hey i saw this thing that reminded me of this show that i'm doing right now it's an interesting point because uh, it's almost like once once your mind's eye 
is awakened to any given situation or injustice, as, as soon as you wake up and you start seeing it somewhere, then you see it everywhere. And it's not that, and it's not that it's new, it's that you're just noticing it more now. You're awake. Good, good art comes from writing because you have something to say, not that you want validation or you're looking to prove a point. This, this came from you. You were affected by something and you gave birth to this artistic piece as a result. Yeah. It's really incredible. Where did you imagine that Corbin had just come from? I, and I'm asking this because I'm a substitute teacher, but substitute teachers are always coming in and they're always flustered and they're always like just finding out where they need to be. And like, they always have all these bags and they're like setting them down. It's me. Um, I have a lot of bags that I'm setting down in the classroom. Uh, where do you imagine that Corbin has just come from? Because he is so nonchalant and calm. We find out eventually where he's from. But where do you, where do you imagine he's, what gives him that calm aura? I think for him, it's a matter of like, it's not the only class he substitute he's subbing for. Like when I was in high school, you know, I had that, you always had that like one substitute that like you saw in every class, no matter what subject. And you were like, like, I don't remember what her name was, but I just remember it was this one like Arab woman. And I always had her for like, she always managed to sub, sub for like one class. Every year, I was in high school, I saw her in at least one class of a particular subject. Like, I may have had this woman sub at least 32 different times while I was in high school and it was never for the same class. And I'm like, how, how are you subbing for this class? Like this specific class, right here too and it never failed because anytime she subbed for a class that i was in i was always in the bad class that she was substituting in <laughs> and i wasn't one of the bad kids either it was just i was always in the class that was the bad class like i was always in the class she was like this is the worst class and i'm like damn it why is it why is it my class again <laughs> I just imagined Corbin as this person who's definitely like done more of these and has done this like enough times to not be phased. Like he might have been phased the first time he did it, or you know, he is someone who's babysat before, or just something else has happened that just keeps him from being phased about anything. There is a dark and stark contrast in the first half of the script where he is teaching it's uh ex exclusivity exclusion studies exclusion studies where he is teaching exclusion studies to children of active members and leaders of the kkk who will eventually become that they're on track to become that 
Yep. And there is something so dark about the, and unnerving about the contrast that Corbin has with the subject, this racist agenda, this racist subject material. And he's so nonchalant about it. And obviously we discover halfway through the script that this is a sham, it's an experiment. But there's something just so unsettling. It, it's unsettling for everyone. It's unsettling that he seems to be at ease. It, would you say this is a dark, is it a dark, is it a dark comedy? Is it satirical? How would you categorize it? Gotcha. Um, I guess I would say it's very much in the dark comedy category. Like, because I feel like there is some satire in it, but it's not as purposefully aimed satire. I would say it's definitely that dark comedy thing. Vain, dark comedy vain. <laughs> it's, it's very tongue in cheek too. Uh, you, you get the idea that, I mean, <laughs> some of the areas of study, it sounds like he's making fun of them, but he's just listing these things that are said as a matter of fact. And you read them and you hear them and it just sounds so unbelievably crazy that to hear it delivered in such a serious matter-of-fact way is deeply disturbing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, I mean, like I said, I know I've heard some of these things just said to me just flat out on their face, and I'm just like, huh, you, you genuinely believe this, okay. I just, I just got to take a moment to process the fact that you genuinely believe that. Great. And because I know I've had some discussions with people that have been wildly frustrating and they just like boggle my mind to a degree. Like I am... <laughs> Corbin's only a character that I can be in terms of like, if I know I'm about to like, if I'm smirking, I am very much a person who can say that stuff while smirking, but I do it with the very purpose of like, no, no, I, I absolutely know that this is ridiculous. That's why it's being said. Um, but then I think like, I remember there was, Ironically enough, while we're on the subject of substitutes, I remember there was a substitute teacher at one point that I had known when I was in high school and he substitute, he was subbing for my dance class and it was this old white dude. And I remember having this discussion about applying for jobs and it was like my senior year. And I, so I had like these dreadlocks, like, or these locks, and I was just talking about kind of how like applying for jobs and how people always say they're always hiring, but how getting a job is difficult and how there's an extra just thing with 
like people and hair discrimination and the man point blank looks at me and he's just like well it's because you know dreadlocks you know they're too casual and it's like they're too casual i mean for a job jack-in-the-box like it's a job jack-in-the-box like i can tie it back and it's like oh yeah it's just just too casual though it's like and it was one of those moments where it was kind of like if i didn't step further back i would have ended up cussing him out at that point because i was like are you serious it's a job it's fucking jack-in-a-box like (laughs) or or wherever like trust Mm. me i can tie it back there are plenty of people with hair longer than mine whose hair actually ends up getting in the food (laughs) and when you when you hear the same wrote script over and over you mentioned that uh these comments that max makes in the script are things that you've heard any number of times i'm sure friends are just common things that injustices that you hear just completely tone deaf stupid comments it must seem like it's being taught in a school yeah. because everyone's saying the same thing. It's like, where did you get this? Is it a book or? Yeah, no, I, I've definitely got to a point where I like, where you hear comments and you're just like, okay, what, what are the following indicators that someone's gonna say this thing? And there's a moment, there are moments when you know, you find yourself asking, when did I get to a point where I start going, okay, they like this book. That means they're going to tell me this thing eventually. Mm. When did I get to a point where I knew that was going to happen? Like, and, you know, it's gotten to that point where you realize how weirdly ingrained it is that you just start going like, yeah, okay, this, this thing right here, I have to assume this is what you have to say if someone if you're told this, you have to say this, and you have to say it exactly like this in the following fashion. If you do not say this, you're going to completely get it wrong and can't have that because that would mean there's a flaw in the logic and you can't present like there's flaws in the logic. And I don't know, it's when you hear enough like that, you get to a point where it's like, well, at some point I have to laugh at this. At some point, it has to become funny because, I mean, after a while, it becomes really hard to take seriously. Is there almost a kind of removal that takes place when someone says something like in like in the script? Yeah, no, I, I would say initially there was there was a disassociation that would come with it like okay and this is this is happening and you know i would end up finding myself just kind of floating outside my head just looking at myself and this other person like okay so you got two options you could cuss this person out right now you could walk away like three options you could tell them how ridiculous they sound without cussing them out like that must be exhausting to have to go through this whole five-step thing. I mean, yeah, it, it definitely is. Like there are points because like 
the ones that always get me are the ones where you're like, okay, okay, this is this is good. You you seem like you are an ally, and you seem like you understand it. And we've had whole conversations, and then you get blindsided by some stuff, like, because that those are always the ones that get me. Where it's just like, it's like, oh, okay, like we had whole conversations about this, and you straight up blindsided me with the thing where you're not expecting it and it comes completely out of it's like okay you just you just told me like i was okay to let my guard down around you and whatnot like you know it's hard for me to let my guard down you know like that's a thing that a lot of us deal with and that i told you about and then right when i do it you blindside me with some <laughs> with that like what's up with that man like <laughs> It's like the ultimate betrayal, too, when yeah. you're able to be open with someone and, and you think that they understand you and understand where you're coming from or, or that they're trying to, and then they just completely obliterate that trust. Yeah, like, it, it's, for me, it's always like, okay, I know people I don't know. It, it's if like you get close and I'm like, yeah, you, you get it, you know, and then you do that. It becomes an immediate like, well, no, that's, that's going to be a little bit hard for me to move past, <laughs> depending on what the severity of it is. And I also try to understand that everyone's learning about things at their own pace and all of that. And everyone's trying to figure it out and there are some people who genuinely do not know. <laughs> there are some people who genuinely do not know. And that's worrisome in a different way. Right. But like, then it's extra weird when there are people who do know and they're still do it. Like, I remember like the amount of times there was like some weird tape just uncovered where at one point, like, I remember hearing the thing where Trump straight up goes like, yeah, no, I, there is a problem with systematic racism and like the police, you know, over, and it's like, whoa, 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 you know this shit's happening and you're still saying this? No, 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 no. It's, it's like, when I thought you were just a dumb racist, it was one thing because it like made me, it was easier to brush off, but now you know it and you did it. It's worse. Yes. <laughs> Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, the character of Corbin is almost like a amalgamation of the disassociating that you've had to do and you've seen people had to do. And Yeah, I, I would definitely say it's a lot of that. It's a lot of why that distance can take place because it's just this kind of person that's like, it, it is just that thing of going, well, nope, okay, I'm gonna just wait this out, wait this out. And Corbin's just that person who's like, look, I already know what this class is, I can teach it. And it's just like, you know, I can teach it point for point, like I already know what this chapter is about. I don't need to read the chapter because any teacher that has to actually still teach you about the book probably hasn't even really learned the subject really well. What was your emotional process like 
through having this gestation of an idea, putting it on paper, adjusting it, being finished with it, and hearing it out loud. What was the emotional trajectory that occurred? My emotional trajectory at that point was, how much can I make a joke about this? How many things can I make a joke about? And at some point, if you do, when you do learn the game and the game is given, I guess, how would you say if you were the entity who had to go like, yeah, no, I know. I know this is ridiculous. I absolutely know that, you know, I know that no one should believe this. I absolutely know that this is a crazy thing to teach. But I mean, if you get it well enough, you should be able to go out and everything should be good. Um, my emotional process was just like, cause the third thing that went into it for me was how much harm exactly has been done from this line of thinking, which led me to the, either they get blown up if they don't learn or we just, you know, we cook them a little bit. Hmm. And the emotional process for that has just kind of been how do you talk about a thing without being literal about the thing, especially when there are so many people who have done the literal thing and they're already, they've already said everything that needs to be said at this point. Hmm. Like there are plenty of people who have already told you about the issue with Black people and police and the issue with using your Black friends as a prop and the issue of like how the importance of diversity and inclusion as well as like, you know, why it's plenty possible that people with that are the best for the job aren't necessarily always just, you know, regular straight white people. <laughs> it does become a, all right, here's the subject who has been talked to death. Here's this. Do you, mm -hmm. there, is there any questions just because you know that the points are going to come? Um, yes, the forced diversity unit. Let's talk about that too. It's just become like, okay, I'm exhausted about this. And because I'm exhausted about this, I no longer feel the need to immediately take it seriously at this point when I hear it. I'm going to joke about it, and that's where I'm at. <laughs> and hopefully, as I joke about it, other people will see it, and they'll be like, yeah, that is stupid. <laughs> it is stupid that we're still doing this. Did you feel any sort of relief after? Did it feel therapeutic in a way? Yeah, no, it felt, it felt good to... Absolutely, it felt good to get it out of my system, though. <laughs> Presenting it to people at that point, I was like, okay, I'm about to show this thing to people because, like, the first <laughs> part of it that I wrote was the part with just the um, going through and talking about the social currency and the importance of the Black friend. And I remember initially when I wrote that, I was in an acting workshop and so I was like the only black person in this workshop and I'm presenting it and I'm like, really, this is what you decide to do? You know, like none of these people's politics, you don't know any of this shit. You're about to just go ahead and, okay, we're about to do this. We're about to do this. Okay, let's go. 
And I remember just like <laughs> visibly shaking the entire time. The words came out confident, but I know I was definitely shaking while holding the papers because I'm like, yep, you about to say this. And like slowly, like my physical body language like stopped shaking. <laughs> And it caught up with where my mouth and my brain were, where it was like, okay, we're saying this, we're just, you got a body, you're going to need to work with us. Well, and especially since, I mean, acting, acting is such a weird, freaky, unnatural thing to do, like to stand up and not even taking into consideration the fact that this is something you wrote. So it's not only that you're putting yourself in the most vulnerable situation you could be putting yourself in. But it's also something that you wrote. It's not even like it's someone else's words. You have nothing to hide behind. You're just like, well, okay. <laughs> um, I'm here. It's, I, I always pretty much equivocated to like you, there is a whole like, go out in your underwear day and you have opted into underwear day, but then you're like, oh crap, I've, oh, it's too late to do this. I'm already on the train. <laughs> it's like that sensation of everything's telling you to like, get off, leave, stop talking, shut down because you want to protect yourself, but you know that you've got to do this. Yep. Uh, that, that's always where it is. Because like acting at least, by itself, you always have the great fortune of being like, okay, well, I didn't write this. Someone else yeah, yeah. <laughs> have that thing, you know, it's something that someone else wrote, and it was just the person I played who, who said that thing. Writing, it's like, well, okay, I did say that, yes. <laughs> and then writing it and being the one to perform it. Yeah, it's like you have to, like, let that hang in the air and just be like, mm hmm And like this time I was thankful to have like Atticus Kane like help me out and perform the substitute because like I heard him read it like last year. And I was just like, yes, okay, you get it though. You get it. You already got it in you. Thank you. <laughs> but like, yeah, no, it's it is something to say that kind of thing and just have your actual body saying the things you've already written because then you have to just go, yeah, I said that, mm -hmm. ain't in the air. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I do believe if having a black friend equals saying I'm not racist and saying I'm not racist equals not being racist. Yeah, <laughs> it's just what it is. Yeah, I'm totally okay with the fact that I just said this. Those words came out of my mouth. When I got to the end, you know when you feel uncomfortable, but in the best way, you're like, wow, I like, that really went there. That really took me somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. Those, those are some of my favorite things to watch and read. And it's like, I, I would like to do that when I feel the urge to do that. So this has been performed on stage before right uh only like excerpts of it just excerpts I, did you have to go through any adjustment process knowing that it was just gonna be voices not really like i thought i would need to i looked it over to see if there would be something that would not register the same way 
but it just seemed like when I was reading it over, I just felt like, no, this still translates. It still, everything about it still registers the same way. I don't know, there, there was nothing in it for me that felt like it couldn't be done in audio and that it couldn't have the same effect. Like, that's as someone who's very much a believer in like the medium is the message in that very much way. And so I was like, no, this still works. Like audio wise, it still says what it needs to say without anything feeling like it's compromised or that it needs to be changed to be more understood. I find with audio, it can be so much more intense. Obviously I love live theater, but when yeah. I listen to something, especially when it's only two characters, it makes it so intimate. And with a subject matter like this, it doesn't let you off the hook. You can't, you don't have the opportunity to kind of glaze over because it's right in your ear. Cause you can be in a theater and check out. Yeah. But when someone, you're just listening to two people talking, you don't get to check out. You have to listen. It's, it's interesting that this piece, without really any changes, can exist in both mediums. It's very rare that you find that with something. Normally, there's a lot of doctoring either way that needs to happen in order for the message to come across. Yeah. I know you're not writing for anyone. You're writing because you had something to say. But is there anything that you want, how do you want people to walk away from this? Is there anything you want them to feel or think? I always say that the idea so far is just, you know, any excuse for racism that you can possibly make, I guarantee you, anyone on the other side of it has heard it a million times. We've heard it, we already know what it is, and we already see it coming. It's because you think it's new doesn't mean that we think it's new. Like, I guarantee you we've most likely heard it. And even if there's an initial feeling of like, did that really come out of your mouth? I can't believe you said that. The I can't believe you said that isn't because of like, the feeling of, oh, this is a new thing that you're saying. Holy gosh, I can't believe they said this racist thing. What? It's more of a, oh, I can't believe you said the same thing in this way. I guess this is the remix. <laughs> this is the racism remix. Okay, okay. Not not as, this. I don't like this remix as much. It's not as jumping, but you know, <laughs> you do you. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say there is nothing that has been said that hasn't that we haven't heard a million times like i i can guarantee there's a thing where if you if you say it to somebody they'll go uh-huh okay i mean hmm. might enter we might humor you on the idea and there are absolutely some people who might genuinely go along with you because hmm. no group's monolith but <laughs> It is one of those things where it's like, we've heard it, we know it, we could definitely teach a class on it. <laughs> I could teach a class on everything I know you about to say. 
and while I ordinarily don't consider myself a person that can immediately predict what everyone is going to say, when it comes to racist rhetoric, it's pretty much like, it's definitely that feeling of, yeah, I've heard it. I've heard that too. I've heard that too. Like I got to a point where I just don't debate people who I know are obviously gonna say racist stuff. Like, it's just like, oh, okay, that's cool. You have fun with that. <laughs> I just do not have the time. I don't have the time because I feel like I, I know I would be repeating myself and I just don't care to do that. And if you want someone to educate you and whatnot, there are plenty of people who have degrees who are much smarter than I am, who know the subject, who are happy to do that for you, who have written books that are Barnes and Noble. <laughs> and you and you shouldn't have to be the teacher. You you shouldn't have to do the work for people of why this is the worst thing that you could say, why this is an unacceptable thing to say. Yeah. And I would say, I guess the other thing to, that I would say we probably should take from it is hopefully the fact that if we don't get better, we will burn. <laughs> Cause in all truth, the reason that part even kind of came and initially I was like, is that too hellfire and brimstone? And then, you know. No, 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 it, was, it wasn't because the, the whole piece was so gloriously layered in irony and dark satire that that felt like the most satisfying, like that's the only place it could go. It's where it is going. With yeah. The Climate change has happened with at least some of the ways the environment's been damaged a large part because of some of the racism. It, it was one of those things where it's like, nope, keeping that. It, it was the most, lo as intense as it is, it was the most logical place for it to end up. And so it's very much one of those, if it's one of those, hopefully if we have to learn to do better because if we don't, we, the answer, the bills come and do real soon if we don't. One thing I wanted to ask, when this is performed on stage, it, it says that there are other people in the class, but they seem like, they, it seems a little metaphorical, like they're just, you know, sheep, you know, yeah. just sitting there sucking up everything, not questioning. Um, and Max is the only one who's questioning. Yeah. When you put this on stage, would you even have other people in the seats? No. Um, the way I would imagine it if I were to put it on the stage is always that I would not only not have anyone in the seats, but I would have Max dressed in something really bright, like really opaque, like, like in a really just red or something just that's really bright and noticeable. Mm -hmm. Because while, while Max is part of the problem of, you know, dealing with this rhetoric, there is a point where it's like, the one thing I do want to highlight is the fact that it's very much, okay, but she, she is trying to get there. At least at some point, it, one person does at least get somewhat, go, go through the process of going, this is ridiculous. Hmm. I, I would very much just to keep the feel of it it would 
I feel like it works best when there's no one else there. It when it's just those two on stage. I think that makes it more powerful too that you're referring to these other students and they're not there. Especially because I know there are points where I imagine it where like if I were to put it in a theater where it would just be the moments where she's just kind of talking and the other students are of course in the audience because it's that kind of play. <laughs> it's like, come on, let's go, let's go. Just to add to that whole feeling of like, okay, it's just me who's going to say this. Because there are a lot of movies sometimes about this idea of this one person breaks through and they discover it and other people come along and through that one person's courage, they save and heal the soul. But sometimes- um, That's they, the ultimate like Christ yeah. savior example. It feel, you know, it feels good to watch. And hey, I, I get it. Sometimes I'm a sucker for those narratives too. But the thing is like, I've known plenty of people who are in the other end of that who have experienced the other end of, no, they changed, they got different viewpoints, they got what they felt were better viewpoints and they started doing better stuff and their friend circle just dissipated. Like anyone who would be around them like just disappeared as they became more committed to doing better. And like, just as, the further it went on, the more there were people who were willing to say, like, well, you're just into humor, man. You, you're not as funny as you used to be. And it's like, hmm. you know, for every story where there's like a whole group of people who rally around this one person who might happen at that charisma, there are a whole bunch of people who are trying to do it on their own. <laughs> They're trying to break out on their own and it's difficult. Or that one person is deserted by the people they thought would yeah and it it can be a really it can be a really depressing feeling of okay i'm doing this and i guess i'm alone and seeing what's wrong with this sometimes and it's not so much that they're alone in the world it's that they're alone in this particular moment around the people that they feel should be coming with them I know currently I am working on this play titled V from Vitality that is just kind of about this one woman who ends up joining this one like MLM after not getting hired in a bunch of other places. The only catch of clocking in is that she has to, of course, get like her blood drained every day. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. Your brain is wild. <laughs> it's how I deal with things. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, it, Leotis, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a true pleasure. Uh, incredibly eye-opening. And thank you so much for lending your story to Standby and allowing us to produce it. It's truly been a pleasure. Thank you. I'm glad to have been here and uh, thank you for having me and for producing it. 
<laughs> of course. Um, if you haven't already, please check out The Substitute, only here on Standby for Places by Leota Smith. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.